All right, time to kick it with your best friends in the singing industry. You know, the mates who know some stuff, but you can still have a pint with. It's the Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson and Steve Giles. Ah! <laughs> I feel good. Is that what it was? Uh, no, I like it's my, more my thing. It's not James Brown's. Do you have a name for that? I like to call it the um, what's the name of that? What's one of those those cats? <laughs> <laughs> but like big, a a, big, small jaguar. Yeah, yeah. I call it the jaguar squeal. I like to call it so. the jaguar squeal. It's posh yeah. that jaguar, isn't it? Yeah. They've so been been working on that. Yeah, yeah. What with with Catherine. Yeah, I say with um, to, <laughs> in, in in what in, in competition with. Yeah, yeah. No, so I took some of the advice from this wonderful uh, interview that we that we had with her that we're just about to Which line up. Absolutely, Catherine Sadlin of Complete Vocal Technique, the Complete Vocal Institute, um, pioneer. Some would say, especially in Europe, on the whole dirty sounds as she calls them um vocal effects so we've got a lot of a lot of uh, background in this interview interview about what cvt is and uh many people around the world have heard about it but not necessarily been introduced to it so this will be a great introduction to anybody who's like what is this about um but also in this episode there was plenty of stuff that is transferable to everything and lots of discussion around what actually goes on in the vocal tract when you create sounds that are edgy, sounds that are twangy, sounds that are rough, um, or even actually we talked a lot, didn't we, about healthy sounds and how there's been some observations around throat actually being quite narrow in some of these sounds. Yeah, that it has to be. And and I'd add that I think one of the things that's really interesting, I think some, some people will find... Um, valuable from this is uh, Catherine's beliefs or themes on the way to explain things when teaching. Yes. Uh, being definitive and actionable. Concrete, uh, concrete is the uh, word she used. Absolutely. And also the other one was the use of science in teaching. Mainly for her, it's what not to do based on what you see happening in the throat. Right. You know, so why would you, uh, and, and the guidance that knowing that, like say the, the, the tension thing there, if you know that tension is required to sing high notes and you are instructing to have a quote unquote open throat or something like that, the two just don't work. It just doesn't, that, that just doesn't help. No, and, and the singer themselves can create such a unhelpful mental image from, um, what they're trying to feel versus what they know they would see in the vocal tracks. And then it just all sort of falls apart. And then we have to get back to singing with, um, without overanalyzing in that sense, using the science usefully. Yeah. But, but her language is very much, you know, we can only control the things we can control. That's it. And the language will dictate or will be driven by what, what you know. And if you know, if you know, quote unquote, no, fact, <laughs> truth, fact that 
the throat needs to be open when you sing, your language is going to be so different to someone who who knows that it, you need uh, constriction. And yeah, extension when you when you're singing, so, and some somewhere along the way. And you know, I went to a I went to a conference the other day, the Voice Geek Conference, which was held in the UK by Debbie Winter, mm. um, and there was a presentation in there about uh, the um, laryngoscopies. You know, the stroboscopy exams where you get to see the 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 vocal tract and the vocal folds operating. And there was this occasion that the presenter had recalled of a uh, a quite a quite a a decent operatic, I think it was an operatic bass or operatic baritone who was pretty sure when they were looking down, he was like, um, pretty sure my throat is super open when I'm singing this because it feels that way. But on observation, it was pretty narrow (laughs) and it was like, yes, so it feels easy and it feels relaxed. Therefore it's open rather. It feels easy and relaxed because it's just, doing its job subliminally without excess effort and without problems so does that mean the throat's open does it not who knows so it's it's a very interesting world to start delving into isn't it it is what it is it is let's not get overexcited about it now mate um but before we get into that interview we just have to um give anybody a shout if you are at vocalize you this year um the wonderful camp in la we are preparing our class as we speak and if you are going, you can join us there for seven days of farting around, pretty much, isn't it? Yeah, if anybody wants to uh, pitch in on our conversation we had immediately before starting this recording, which was, we, are, we, are, we were debating whether, given that we are, we're teaching some private stuff in the morning and then we've got a class at one o'clock, like hour and a half two hours and then there is the vocology and practice training but ingo is probably going to be there some other speakers for about four or five hours we were debating squeezing in the recording of the icing magazine webinar that we do kind of i want to say monthly or bi-monthly but it definitely isn't that frequent um let's say every now and again we're we're contemplating squeezing that in on that week um we don't know whether we should or not so any feedback on that would be great. <laughs> yeah, pr- preferably if you could just come on board as our free secretary. Yeah. Pop the applications in the post. Yeah. And um, don't call us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> cool. Well, this is just a horrible transfer of energy, isn't it? Isn't it really? Yeah, yeah we should like, just give it over to Catherine just about yeah. now, shouldn't we? God. Um, so yeah, please stick around for the interview with Catherine. It's got loads of stuff in it. She talks a lot about the apps and the courses that they do as well. But um, any questions that you have, please get along to the nakedvocalist.com. Go to the blog post that supports this episode and get involved in the conversation in the comments because um, that's where a lot of the action begins and also to keep please keep an eye out on our blog section of our website because we've got lots of guest authors coming along and articles from ourselves about all kinds of things in singing it's getting loads of action at the moment so i, I urge you guys to go to the and get involved in that should we begin what with the podcast yeah yeah do you want to do you want to give us a jaguar <coughs> okay that's the prep I'd go in twice because the first one didn't really work. Thank you.
Today we are very, very lucky to have uh, a heavyweight in the world of singing, Catherine Sadlin. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you very much. Great to have you on. Um, just to give everyone a brief uh, view of, of who you are, um, you are the founder of the CVI Complete Vocal Institute, um, author as well of an incredibly successful book around the world in different languages, Complete Vocal Technique, CVT, um, which is been extremely popular especially uh, in Europe and also over it looks like a lot of years with a particular ENT you've also been conducting a lot of research into uh, contemporary technique especially in the world of distortion which I think has been a, a very valuable input to the world seen as everyone just thinks it would burst a blood vessel so it's good to see that you know blood vessels can remain intact after after some of your your research there um, and also spent life as a professional singer and currently you work um, training teachers around the world in complete vocal technique um, and also working with singers in many different genres including contemporary and classical so we have a wealth of knowledge to drag out of you, so thanks for coming on. Why don't you tell uh, our audience a little bit about how you began as a singer and how you arrived on all this, all this stuff that you've compiled into CVT. Okay, thank you for the nice words. Um, I started, um, actually I wasn't even, I haven't even thought about doing some singing. And then because I have asthma, I'm born with asthma and I've had it uh, uh, quite heavily, and then when I was, I think, 18, somebody said, well, why don't you try to take some singing lessons? And I said, okay, I've tried a million other things, so why not that? So I had my first singing uh, lesson, and I thought, wow, this is fun. This is fantastic. I've got to do that for the rest of my life. And everybody went, no, it's not possible. I mean, how can you sing when you have asthma? And so I was like, I don't care. I'm going to check it out. So. I started to do uh, to take lessons, but it was really difficult because uh, the teachers were used to that the singers they are working with they had some kind of talent to work with. At least they could breathe, but I couldn't even breathe. I had only five notes, and they were all hoarse, so I couldn't do anything with my voice. And the teachers didn't really know how to get me further because there were nothing like uh, not there was not a foundation to build on that normal people have. So I tried a million stuff and I didn't really get better and nobody could really help me and I tried this and that. Another point, I started getting nodules because I obviously did some wrong things. And then at the end I said, no, now I'm locking myself into a little room. I'm gonna study anatomy, physiology and find out how this voice works. Because everybody, what they said to me was, well, think, Think you're in a little boat and sing like you are feeling the wave and you have a unicorn. And I was just like, what? A unicorn and a boat? Well, I'm a singer or I tried to, to sing, so what the hell has that got to do with it? Um, but so I tried all these various stuff and it really didn't work. So I locked myself into a little room and I studied anatomy and physiology and slowly, step by step, I got the various 
um, knowledge. I, I, I knew, I understood how the whole voice works, how the breathing works, and I could try to put it together step by step. And eventually something worked. Oh, that must have meant that I was on the right track. So I continued from there on and I built it and eventually I, I could sing. I could actually take some high notes and I wasn't hoarse constantly. And, and uh, I, my aim was to be a classical singer because that was the teaching I started with. So, so that's where I, uh, I worked on. And finally I could actually start singing an aria and I could actually do it and I started performing and all that. And then after some time, uh, people came to me and said, how did you do that? How did you do that? I said, well, I don't know. I just did like this. Let's try to investigate. And then a lot of my friends, they were rock singers and came and said, well, how do you do this? And since I, at this point, know so much about the anatomy physiology, and then I started studying acoustics, I could understand that it's not the vocal cords that is separating a classical singer or a rock singer because the, the sound is made in the vocal tract above the vocal cords. So that means that the rock singer should actually do the same thing as I did to get my voice well. Um, but of course, a rock singer needs another sound, but the sound is not like coming, or the sound we hear is not coming from the vocal cords. So that means that it is possible to do all the sounds in the world without hurting the vocal cords. Vocal cords are just doing a little, like a little sound like that. And when you put that sound into the vocal tract, the, then, or into the mouth cavity, we could call it, then the sound is created. And whatever you do to the, to the, to the mouth cavity, that could not hurt the vocal cords if you're doing it right. So that was where all the studying started about doing effects and screens and crazy stuff and, and all kinds of really usually dangerous, what people call dangerous uh, sounds. They started, um, my investigation started from that. And it all comes down to if you know your anatomy, if you know your physiology, then it is possible to create everything. So instead of going with hearsay and myth and images that might be brilliant for some, but for somebody like me who had nothing to build on, I had to have concrete uh, tools, otherwise I couldn't make my voice work. And that means that I can then pass on the concrete tools instead of trying to be a unicorn. I still haven't figured out how to be that. <laughs> So instead of that, well, then I can pass on a concrete tool, say, I don't know how you scream, but if we think rationally, we know the vocal cords are here, they do this. The sound is created in the mouth cavity. So you have to find uh, the mouth cavity. You shape it in a way so you get a crazy sound there, but the vocal cords are still doing the nice work that they are supposed to do for all kinds of singing, for all kinds of speaking. So in this way, it is possible to do every sound. All sound sounds can be made in a healthy way. Lovely stuff. Now I don't want to. I don't want to jump on your words, Catherine. Um, but the um, but when you said in somewhere in the middle there, you said about the the vocal tract and resonance being the variable between genres, uh, which I think we would um, we would all agree on. The in your experience and studies. How 
You almost intimated towards that the vocal folds are redundant in that process in terms of influencing the the different um, styles. So can you explain that a little bit more yeah. about the, their, their job? Because some people would suggest that um, vocal fold depth or adduction or surface area contact, those kind of things would make a difference to the overall sound. So what is your take on that? Yes, of course it is. This is like a very simplified way of uh, explaining this was how I started. So from there on, we have been working with a lot. I'm working with a lot of <clears throat> different scientists and ENT doctor, Julian McGlashan from Nottingham. Uh, we've doing, been doing research for many, many years together. And the more we dive into it, the more we found out these little, small, smaller details about things, how it's made. But generally, I would say that if you tell a singer, well, you have to do this with a vocal cord, adapt a little and use that C, C muscle, T muscle, whatever, people are, uh, that's not really help. I mean, if you are a singer, how can you relate to some strange muscle you don't even know exists? And, and how, can you, how can you get to them? How can, you, how can you control them? And how can you know, if you control them, that this is that muscle that you're actually controlling and not something else? So I think it's very important to be concrete. And if we are talking to singers, I would tell a singer something that they are able to uh, do. So I could say, well, try to do this vowel. Try to have a bite look like you're doing a bite, <clears throat> try to make this sound, then try to do this with your, your abdomen and blah, blah, blah. So to be extremely concrete, because that was what I was missing so much that nobody was concrete. And since I didn't have anything to build on, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't progress. So everything we are telling the singer has to be really concrete. So coming back to your question, I would say yes. So what we have been uh, finding out, we are talking about four vocal modes. And these vocal modes are setting. And it's really concrete examples of how you make a setting. And here's a setting, and here's another setting. And when you put this setting, you are automatically also changing, of course, something on the vocal fold level. But the aim for the singer is to work on the things that they can actually control and not to concentrate on what's happening on the vocal fold level because which singer can relate to that? Um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's easier when you want to change something. It's easier if you get a tangible tool that you can say, do this. Mm. And then if it works, well, that's great. No, totally agree with you. Yeah, I mean, there's. Um, I, I certainly know that we we began when we were first teaching. A lot of the language would be absolutely directed around maintain chord closure. And I remember doing gigs, going, uh, I don't, I don't ever remember maintaining chord closure uh, at any point. Even though it's like uh, that's what I must be doing, but that's like just as a result of. But at the end of the day, I was maintaining a sound in my head, in my ear, of course, um, or maintaining an airflow or a um. Uh, a level of, I don't know, uh, mental and physical state like relaxation or positivity. It doesn't really matter, does it? But at the end, yeah, yeah I was wearing a unicorn uh, <laughs> horn. Who cares? But yeah, so it's, it's kind of, I think there is a little bit of a, a, just a disjointed or a mismatch between 
what what is observed as being constant and our control of that are they directly linked yeah i, th- I think yeah. i think it's good for singers to be to be um uh coming into that concept a lot more yeah and i think it is very important that when we are talking to when we are uh, working with singers that we we work on things that a singer can control that would be the sound that would be things to do okay when we are working with scientists this is a completely different thing. Then we can go, ooh, very interesting. We see this and we, we see something coming in here and ooh, that is and narrowing there and blah, blah, blah. Very interesting. But it's not interesting to singers unless they are scientifically interested, of course. So I think it's very important to keep these two things apart. So, of course, it's important to know what's going on. And that's why we keep doing research because we really want to know more. But it's on the other hand, it's very important to translate it back to the singer. If we find some new stuff that say, oh, this is valuable for the singer, we have to translate it into some physical thing or auditive thing that the singer can actually do. So what you're saying is, in summary, like Catherine, just to, just to clarify that, is it's in terms of the science, you're not discounting the role of the vocal folds, but in terms of instructional language, we don't go there because it's often confusing and people and people can't gain any value from it or yes. much value from it. Lovely. That's, that's, that's actually what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, this is the thing. So, so uh, you've mentioned about the modes then, um, which was excellent. And obviously, uh, there's going to be, I'm sure, a lot of people out there wanting you to go crazy on that. However, before we go there, we just need to set the foundation. And as your foundation... Uh, or say yours, CBT's foundation, is the three principles, which is support, twang, and lip and jaw tension, I guess removal. So could you just spend a a bit of time on those three things and, you know, why they're important and what someone could do to work on those three areas? Yeah. So if we we are having like an overview where we're saying that we have three uh, overall principles, uh, as you said, that is support and that is a necessary twang and that is to avoid having tension or having, you know, uh, protruding the jaw and tightening the lips. So these three overall principles, that doesn't give somebody a special sound, but this is like a foundation. This is like you built the, you have a foundation and then you built the house upon it. People see the house, but they don't see the foundation. And that's the same thing here. The, the support, a lot of people have heard the word support. And that was the first uh, word I accounted, that I, I, I met when I started taking singing lessons. And people said, support, 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 ooh, more support, less support, this support, that support. But nobody could, could be concrete about what we had to do. It was just a word. And I had no clue. And for some reason, I thought it must be me who was stupid, so I didn't dare ask him what it was. But at a point, I started asking, what is this support? And actually, nobody could answer. And then I said, well, we have to be very concrete about this. So what we, we are talking about, when we're talking about support now, it is really concrete. So everybody can feel, you do this, you feel this, okay, now sing the note, and within like 10 minutes, they should see if it helps or not. So that's why the support, and it's not, so it's not like a, a term, it is very concrete. 
then the necessary twang, that is something that you don't really have to work on unless you have some issue, some, some problem. Uh, because it is automatically coming if you're doing the rest correctly. But we have to mention it up there because there are very few people who are having trouble on this. And then you have to go and, and correct something about the necessary twang. And then again, it, you might support really well. You might have a fantastic twang, blah, blah, blah. And then you are messing the whole thing up by uh, tightening the lips or protruding the jaw. So that's why we need to avoid that. So the next thing you're going to ask me is, what is necessary twang? I think I would if I was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, um, and the word necessary, see, it, it obviously denotes that it's actually necessary amounts for the style that you're singing in, which probably... Would, would be adjusted, would it, by a singer yeah. in, in CVT world between styles? Um, and also, just to, just to preempt this particular section about twang, um, yeah. there, there are loads of conversations online about adding twang. Yeah. Then there's loads of questions coming back going, what is twang? Some yeah. people just think it's an accent, for instance. Like, I remember when someone said, like, oh, they have a southern twang. That just means they have a southern accent, right? Yeah, so it, it's quite an interchangeable term in the, in the world, not just for singers. Um, so we have, yeah, you need twang. What is twang? And then a lot of people are, twang is bad or twang um, makes people tight or, you know, all those kind of questions. Yeah. I'd, I'd love for this twang conversation to develop into something that is... Um, actually quite applicable to singers and teachers to know what it is and actually what what yeah. would make what would make it go wrong why have people had so much trouble with it in the past yeah i understand and let's be concrete because i think that the the golden thing is keep on being concrete so the twang is in the definition that we are having uh, because we are we are having this rule that we say we will never talk about a term or anything without having defined it. Because if we have a definition, then we know exactly what we're talking about. And if then we could discuss definitions, but at least then we know where we're coming from and then the, the conversation or the communication will not be polluted. So for, for talking about the twang, you have um, the lower part of the epiglottis, that lower that is called the PTO. And so that's uh, the epiglottis the at, uh, at a lower part. And then you have the arytenoid. And these two are meeting. So it is, of course, a little difficult uh, uh, here in the radio. It's easier to show you. But you have the vocal cords and you have the petiole and arytenoid moving together. So that is like you are having a water hose. And then you're squeezing it a little bit. And when you squeeze it, the water runs faster. So that's the idea of twang. That is to some kind of make um, a narrowing. And this narrowing will make the sound travel faster. It will be, you could call it more projected, uh, if you like to talk conventionally. Um, but so this is two very concrete places that is narrowing. Of course, then again, if I say to a singer, now you take your, your PTL and you take your retinoid, and then, yeah, that would be, I mean, I wouldn't pay for that. 
So what, <laughs> what we have to do is we say, how do we get there? Now we know what it is, but how do we make it a singer achieve it? Well, that's actually uh, often best done by sound. So if you, you are sounding like a duck that's quacking, then you are having this twang. And then when we talk, talk about necessary, that means enough for the voice to work. If you don't have enough twang, it is too open in a way, and that means that the voice can't travel. That means you're not protecting the vocal cords enough, and that means that you uh, might eventually hurt the vocal cords. So you need to have some kind of narrowing above the vocal cords to protect the vocal cords, and then you will see, oh, everything gets easier. So this narrowing, the, the necessary, that's a twang, that is this narrowing. And the more you twang it, you need a certain amount to be in necessary. And if you do it more, we call it distinct twang. So we have necessary, that is the least twang you can get away with. And extra, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> extra twang from there would be um, distinct twang. So if I'm saying to you, if I'm saying, ah, like, well, of course, it's uh, difficult to illustrate that you are not uh, twanging because, you know, if you're trained, you, of course, you know how to do that. But it would be like, oh, the sound will be too big and wide. Then I can narrow it a bit more. Eh, you can hear it gets more and more eh, 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 in the sound. And then I can do it more if I like, if I like it. I can go, eh, really do it. So if I'm singing country music, I might uh, have a little more twang because I really like it. Uh, or you can just have a little less. But if you don't have any, it will be too open. It won't work. So that's the issue about twang. But again, we don't need the singer to concentrate on the twang unless it's a problem. It is a nice side effect of doing the modes in the correct way. Then you automatically get the twang right unless there is a little issue you have to fix. I see. So, so um, for, for anybody out there who might have had experienced this and have felt um, twang become a problem, or um, as some people hear the word narrowing, they might associate that with pharyngeal tension, throat tension, all of that stuff. What would, what would be the sort of the conversation you would have with that person resulting in what, what would they actually have to look at to, to try and make the best of that situation? Yeah, and that, that is actually where we learn something from the science part because a lot of singers are afraid of narrowing, constricting, all these words because they have been taught or get this sensation it has to be open, it has to be free, has to be unhindered, and everybody uh, imagine themselves singing with a chimney uh, in their throat, so it's really open and getting out there. And that is a nice picture, but that's not what's happening. So what is actually happening is that the more we are constricting, if you're doing it in the right way, the healthier you sing. So if we take a camera on the most fantastic opera singer where you think, well, that must be open. No, the more he actually sings his or her high notes, which is really beautiful and sounding great and everything, the more you see narrowing. And there is a certain part of narrowing for each mode. 
And of course, the singer doesn't have to know that it's a narrowing, but again, being afraid of narrowing means you, you are afraid of being healthy in the voice. The only thing that, the only way we can work with the voice is actually constricting. There is nothing else we can do. We can constrict or we cannot constrict. If we don't constrict, you won't get any sound. So all sounds are made by constricting. So there's no reason to be afraid of constricting. But uncontrolled constricting, that is, of course, not very nice because that means that every time you want to sing something, it completely closes off. <coughs> I can't sing, you know, or, you know. So that's really unfortunate. So we need to have constricting, but just a very controlled constricting. But so, so to be sure that whatever we sing is healthy. And actually what we see is that the louder you want to sing and the more... Um, vigorous high notes with a lot of power, the more you need to take care of the vocal cords. And the way you do that is by constricting more, narrowing more on top of the vocal cords, because then the vocal cords are uh, lying underneath and they are having like a room where they are protected. If you imagine the opposite, that it's really open, that means that all the power has to come from the vocal cords. And they are too small and they cannot, uh, t they, they, they cannot tolerate uh, to have all the power coming from the vocal cords. So you have to create power from somewhere else. And that is when you do a narrowing, you actually get more power. So that's coming back to constricting, narrowing. That is what we need to do. But of course, we don't have to say that to the singer. We can easily say, oh, yeah, sing like this. And if you feel it open, it's fine open. But then at a point, then if they ever look up what is going on um, in, in the literature, they would be, they would be hey, you, you lied to me. It's not really open. No, it's not. So we have to distinguish between what is our image and what is actually going on. And you can easily teach by image alone as long as you tell the singer, well, this is an image. Well, go ahead and go crazy with a unicorn, but just know that it's an image. You don't actually become a unicorn or whatever. <laughs> so I, I can, because uh, whenever we do an interview, I'm always thinking about the marketing material uh, for the interview. Mm. And so if it's okay, um, I'm going to take a picture of your face and put a unicorn horn on it um, just for the, is that okay? I wouldn't do that, mate. I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> How's, how, how do you feel about that, Catherine? Well, yeah. well, it's actually everything I'm against. <laughs> <laughs> what about if we put a red cross? Of, of, yeah, a big, on a big red. Yeah, that's not really nice. <laughs> I will send it to. I'll send it to you for sign off. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Declined. Declined. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and as well, I'd like to. I'd like to just add before we move on to some some vocal modes. Yeah. Um, sure. That. Uh, there's actually quite a lot of research, especially by Dr. Tietze, uh, on um, modeling vocal tracks where uh, the, the epilarynx tube, the little part of the, the upper larynx that you're talking about just before it goes into the bigger throat, yeah. um, when that is narrowed and the amount of 
resonance and support, resonance support, so like energy in the vocal tract supporting the vocal folds, um, increases a lot when they, uh, when they do simulations like that. So if anybody's interested in looking at lots of different sources as well as CVT, the, the work on Dr. Ingo Tietze and source filter interaction is also a really great resource to see like how how that can affect someone's vocal breaks, um, entire range, uh, output and everything. It's really, yeah. it's really amazing stuff. Just, just on that though, um, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I'm just, I'm just curious. Um, if a teacher was to ask, a teacher was to ask you, and the reason why I say teacher, Catherine, is because, um, as we know, like singers really don't have to care about this stuff. But if they were to ask you about that, the source filter interaction, and I know you, you, you use the, um, the analogy there of a, or the metaphor of a, of a room um, yeah. that the vocal folds are housed in. Do you have a way, and there's no worries if not, but do, do you have a way of explaining the source filter interaction to a teacher that's looking to receive the scientific explanation of that process that isn't going to take their face off um, in terms of <laughs> complication? Well, yes, it depends on what level of the teacher, uh, how, how, they, how well they are uh, familiar with acoustics, because we need to, to get into a lot of acoustics. And not all teachers uh, need to know acoustics. Again, you don't need to, to, to know this to be a good teacher. There are many uh, levels. But I would say that um, if you're taught the, the, the space narrowing we do, is uh, creating a compression chamber uh, above the vocal cords. And instead of the vocal cords has to do all the hard work, then we are enhancing it by making a compression chamber. Thereby we are enhancing the volume. That means that it doesn't have to be the vocal cords themselves that is creating this volume, but the volume is created in the hall that is created. And this is like how you would build a speaker have any of you guys built a speaker? Yeah, then you would know that you need to have a compression uh, chamber and you have to have a horn. And the way the horn is uh, shaped depends on what kind of sound you have. The good part is that it will enhance the volume. You will be really loud from this, but certain frequencies will be, in, will, will be impeded if you can't get them out. <coughs> and certain frequencies will be enhanced. That means there is a trade-off that when you do this, you will automatically create, you will get a certain sound. And this is also what we know, that when we do edge, for instance, which is really loud, you will get like a really sharp sound. Hey! You go, hey! You go, all these, you know, crazy uh, tones. And when, when, you, when you get those tones, you will see that you have to take care of the vocal cords and thereby you can get a lot of volume by putting it into the hole. The sound will be very eh, 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 twanged, um, but that is those frequencies that are allowed to escape and other frequencies are dampened. So this is a trade-off. You can be loud, but you have to have it in a certain way. Lovely explanation. Yeah, it's, we always we often speak to different people and their approaches to explain stuff. Yeah. Oftentimes, that's all we've got, and we all get a lot of questions on 
but what does that mean? And how does that work? And it's just good to get different approaches. But on that basis, though, we it's like the beautiful elephant in the room, this whole conversation. Keep touching upon the modes. Yeah. What are the modes? What do they sound like? How are they created? Yeah. Go. <laughs> You've got so, three minutes. Uh, now. now, we have four modes. One is called neutral. This is, uh, you can add air in neutral. You can, uh, you can choose not to add air, but this is an optional setting. It is non-metallic. There is, a, it's like a soft character. Ah, ooh, or if you want to be loud. But it is like still soft compared to the others. That is a, a little, uh, it's just more metallic. So when we talk about metal, it goes to what you can hear. It is a little bit more direct or it's a, a little harder, tougher sound. So when we are talking about another mode than neutral, this neutral is what most people are familiar with. It's what people are generally considering um, more healthy, which is not true. It is not more healthy than anything else. If it's done correctly, it's healthy. If it's done incorrectly, <coughs> it is not healthy. And that goes with all the modes. But if you take another mode like overdrive, we have uh, a lot of metal. It is full metallic. It's going, hey! So a lot of power there. Uh, and this one is like a shouty character opposed to neutral that has like a softer character. Then you have Edge. Edge is in family with Overdrive because they're both full metallic. So Edge would be more like A, more, more twanged. Hey, you can really be like a lot of, you can get power in the high part uh, by doing that. And they are both full metallic. Then we have something in between, which we could call uh, reduced metallic. And that would be like a curbing. And curbing is more like you are, um, so, poor me. Oh, hey, oh. So you see there is a little tiny met metallic sound in it. Not as much as an overdrive, hey. And not as little as a neutral. So these modes, they are uh, different kind of gears in everybody's voice. Everybody has all uh, four modes. Some people might not have worked and used some of them, so they have a harder time finding it, but we all have them and we can all get them uh, to work in our voice if we want. So the trick is that when we have the mode, we need to know what we're going to sing to choose the right mode. So if I want to be loud, for instance, I would have problem using neutral unless I'm in the high part because there is no power in neutral. Neutral in the middle part and down is, doesn't have much volume. So you have to go to overdrive and edge to get the volume. So for instance, if I want to, uh, for instance, uh, uh, read a bedtime story for a child, if I go with overdrive, so here comes the wolf, and then the kid will be very excited and not sleep at all, so that would probably not be a good strategy. So if I, on the other hand, go to neutral, they would be so bored, and at the end they will sleep. 
So things are good for certain things, but also if I'm going to make a, a big uh, talking to 100 people, it would be really hurtful for my voice if I use overdrive at neutral because I cannot be hurt. And if I try to turn it up, I really don't sound like it's healthy. Oh, I can put it really high. Now I can be loud. But then again, who would take me serious? So instead, I go to overdrive. So what I'm speaking in now is overdrive. Because in overdrive, I can really be as loud as I want to because that's where it's possible to get all the power. So we need to to choose the mode for what we're going to do. So if we want to be loud, we'll go for the fuller metallic modes. If you want to be soft, we'll go for the non-metallic modes. And if you want to be some kind of in-between, go for the reduced metallic modes. Okay, so a quick, quick question about the modes then. Um, in terms of the power and the volume, do the modes carry, in terms of your CVT terms, carry any warnings as far as one is more fatiguing than the other? And that could either be fatiguing on the vocal folds themselves or fatiguing on the muscles in the body that actually maintain those vocal tract shapes or support levels? Well, uh, no, because you can't say that one of them is more healthy than the other or one of them is more fatiguing than the other. Done correctly, they are all healthy. Done incorrectly, they are all uh, damaging. So that's the whole thing. You can find an opera singer that could easily hurt their voice by singing, let's say, a, a female opera singer singing neutral in the high part. Well, if she's not doing it, if she's not applying it correctly, she would hurt her voice. And, and that's the same with uh, a rock singer singing in, let's say, overdrive, not doing it correctly. It would be uh, wrong. If you even are very soft, you can hurt yourself. So everything, you, if you don't do it right, you hurt yourself. If you do it right, you don't hurt yourself. <laughs> and, there is, and that's the thing about the mode. There are certain limitations and advantages of each mode. So some modes are, uh, for instance, uh, some of them, like overdrive, can't be sung in the high part of the voice. So, uh, for instance, neutral can't be sung powerfully in the low part of the voice, etc., etc. And there are certain things we have to do in each mode that you should not do in the other mode. That's why it's important to know the rules. And for this, I can say that we, are, uh, we have released a f an app, which is free, where people can, where, where they can see this. So it is, uh, they, they can just download it and check it out. And there are the modes and there are the rules and there are the trying and everything we talked about. So we put that out for free so people will know. And also there will be a lot of, of what is going on so people can see the vocal cords. So there are a lot of research video in high speed and so they can actually see this is overdrive. How does it look? For people who's very scientifically interested, they can go that way. For people who's more interested in, 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 in the singing side, they can just go with a practical way how to practice that. Sure. And, and for anybody who's listening to the podcast um, and is interested in anything that we mention, books, apps and stuff, we will put all links in the supporting blog post. So if you're listening, you want to see it, just go to the blog post and you'll find it there. Yeah. And so on that, on, on the um, just one question, one quick question on that, just to bring some context to it. So why isn't overdrive possible when you go high? 
Well, we don't know that actually yet. Oh. We have been researching a lot. We have actually done a lot of interesting experiments, uh, including giving a singer some helium, you know, and see if he could sing overdrive higher. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. <laughs> Walking on stage with canisters. Is that on video? Can we have that? Uh, we don't. Uh, we have an actual video somewhere, but it's. Um, but we are going to put it on the research site. We have wow. a research site for free, and we got to put it there once we we get to it. Um, but it it is. It, it didn't really work. We had a lot of fun, but we, we <laughs> that was not the issue. So it was not because of the weight. Uh, um, so we still don't know. There is a couple of people who's very, very clever into acoustics. They have certain ideas, but we can't say anything for certain. But we just know by practice, by working with millions of singers, we know that this is not possible. Nobody has ever, with an overdrive, been higher than the high C, for instance, as a male or as DE5 for a female. I see. Okay, interesting. Um, so, so do you know what? Like, look, looking forward then onto um, singers specifically. Now, the, the the forums out there are going to be covered. Singers groups, our groups, whatever, are going to be full of singers saying, "I've injured my voice," or "I'm super hoarse from gigs, illness, whatever," and I have a show this weekend. What can I do? And you know, if you do look at those groups, you know, like singers mean well, but some of the advice is absolutely mental. I've heard mm. some people saying, saying, just, just have Yorkshire puddings. Yorkshire puddings will no, do. You it. Haven't. Yeah, I have. Oh, no. without gravy. We, I don't know. I don't know. Do you know? There's some absolutely amazing bits of advice out there. So it, it does. Yeah, yeah. And they mean. Oh. I'm not slagging you guys off. You mean well, you stupid yeah. lot. But but it's just. <laughs> bloody idiot um but uh but from from the point of view from your point of view having having um worked with singers i guess in those same situations oh yeah what can a singer in that crisis who who feels like they absolutely must fulfill the engagement what are they gonna do to figure out a should i even do this gig and b um what what can i do to warm through this and give me the opportunity to see if i even can yeah so I would say if they are horse and have been horse for, let's say, for four or five days, I would say go to a doctor because it is very important to know what is wrong. It's always nice to know, is there anything uh, structural changes? Is there anything, you know, more severe? Uh, or is it simply uh, a matter of wrong technique? Because it can be both. And of course, if there's something uh, pathologically wrong, then of course that should be uh, looked into. And but let's say that the singer has been to a doctor, and the doctor says, "Well," and, and here we talk about ENT doctors, uh, of course. Um, and the doctor says, "Well, you're a little red, but it's okay. You can sing." But the singer feels like oh, I can't sing at all. Then there is actually a lot of things that can be done. But it would require very often that the singer knows some technique. We are, a lot of our work is doing emergency aid for horse singers. And that is somebody calling, oh, I'm having a gig at Wembley and I can't sing, what do we do? So we go in there and we can actually take, if it's not something that is uh, physically, pathologically wrong, 
then we, we can get remove the uncontrolled constrictions, which are the ones that has kind of tied up the whole voice. That means that the singer can't sing and sound really hoarse. But these uncontrolled constrictions we talked about before, they have actually protected the voice. They have, have laced it up so it can't work, but that means you can't misuse it. So then when you know how to do it, you can actually unlace it. You can, un, uh, you can remove the uncontrolled constrictions and within an hour, the, the voice is back again. So, but of course, then the singer needs to know what gave them the problem. And that could be that they, for instance, were singing uh, in edge, in a mode, on a wrong vowel. We have to have certain vowels, certain volumes, uh, certain sound colors and certain pitch we have to be aware of to use the modes. And if you have used, let's say, a wrong vowel, you will immediately get uncontrolled constrictions again if you don't start using the right vowel. But of course, when, when uh, a CBT person knows how to open, uh, to release these uncontrolled constrictions and get the voice back, and then we have to tell the singer, well, for the job you're going to do now, you have to apply a lot of support energy and show them how to do that. And maybe if they are like a little red and uh, feels uncomfortable, try adding more twang, you know, getting the, the, the PTO and the retinoid a little closer together. You do that by ear, say, okay, there's the amount of twang that feels comfortable. And when they can do that, they can actually sing it. And then they are free and they can go, go back and, and sing, sing their stuff. For people who, uh, who doesn't have the, you know, who can't like call CVT, get a Skype session to, to get uh, rid of the hoarseness, they could also uh, look for the app again because we included that whole section uh, in the free app about what to do, how to take care of it, and this is simply step-by-step, step, a little guide on how to release the constriction yourself. So if you made some wrong things and you so really awesome, you can release them and then you can sound great again. Amazing. You know, and it's, it's kind of, um, I think as a vocal coach, one of the things I've found fascinating over the years is when, when you would first run into someone who clearly sounds like they've hemorrhaged every single blood vessel in their head, yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, I know this is. I know. What a thought. I love embellishing a story. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but that's good. That's yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's all for the. Yeah. It's all for the sake of the audience. Um, but uh, blood man. Yeah, yeah, blood, blood man. And you would hear this this sound that just sounds like so bad when they come back from the ENT. The vocal co vocal cords are so pearly white. They're just. Yeah. They're not even red. No, exactly. And and then then you're like, wow. I mean, terms like muscle tension dysphonia. Then you can hear like, okay, if if they've been diagnosed with yeah. um, some muscle tension, you're like, blimey, muscle tension can make someone sound like that. Definitely, it's that, actually a big shock in the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, but I would actually say that I I would say it's a ninety five percent of all hoarseness appearing for singers. That's uncontrolled constriction, and we can release them within an hour. So it is 90% of all the uh, canceled gigs didn't have to be canceled if people knew the techniques and know how to work with it. So, and that's again, that, that's the same uh, if you use them for intentional uh, effects. For instance, when we took the overview, we had three overall principles, then we have the, the four modes, 
then we have the sound color, but then we also have effects. That means that now you have learned all the way, you sing perfectly nice and everything, but then you want to make it sound really lousy or hot, what some people think, or you really want to, you know, make it dirty again. So even though you have perfect technique, it's a part of the technique to knowing how to apply that gravel sound to the voice. And that is simply, let's say, if we have the overdrive, we say, we, we have a, and then we can choose a sound color, making it darker, uh, or lighter, uh, depending on which sound color we want. We do that with a vocal tract. We just, with the mouth cavity, we can make it bigger for darker sound, smaller, or smaller sound. So there are six places we can work, but just to make it uh, easy, we can say a big room will make dark and a small room will make it light. Then on top of that, we can actually, uh, when we have a nice vocal cord, they, they are swinging nicely, they are, they are making a beautiful pulsation. Then we can make, for instance, the, the fourth folds, if we make some um, vibration there, then we can make it sound like we are actually hurting our voice without doing it. So this sound, I'm not even using my vocal cords, I'm just using my fourth folds. And then if I have a note, I say like, eh, I put it on, eh, and it sounds like I'm, I'm ruining my voice, but I'm not. It's simply happening in another place. It's happening in another area away from the vocal cords. That's why it's not hurtful when you know how to do it. And that you can do that with all kinds of, you can make it with a growl, or, whoa, a grunt, you can do it with la la, you know, a growl, or you can, uh, do creaking, or you can, you know, make a distortion. You can do whatever you like, and it's not harmful to the voice because it's not created at the voice. And that's the same thing with the emergency aid. It is not the voice that is in trouble, it is everything around it that has gone wrong, and we can get rid of that. And that means also when we do make effects, we can make them, we can use them as we want them to work. Wow. Mm. I'm sure just for some practical value, just on that, one of those things you just said. Yeah. How would one go about involving their false folds to make that noise that you made? Yeah. First, when we, when we work with... Uh, when we work with this distortion or any effects, what we do is we have to make sure that they know the, fun, the foundation, that, that they can do the, the support and the, the, they, they have the overall principles. They should know their modes. If they don't do their modes well, it will be hurtful to work with distortion. They have to control the sound color. So these are the steps they have to be in charge of first. But let's say they, they, are, they are mastering this, then what you do is that there are various ways to teach it, uh, but one of the things is to get this little, uh, like you are making a happy sigh. <sighs> Try to do that. <sighs> exactly. Can you feel that there's something making a little, something that, that is uh, slipping? It's not something which is meeting? <sighs> yes. Exactly. And that place, Try to cultivate that and try to squeeze that. And what we're talking about here is image. It's not what's going on. This yeah, is I, think, just 
I think it's a unicorn doing that for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we need the unicorn. You just go ahead and use the unicorn. That's completely <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And then you squeeze some more, you go, ah. I just got a lot of mucus going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But actually, we'll take that. That deserves yeah, the uh, flow of air, so I'll take that one. Yeah. But this is part of the this is part of the distortions that you can actually do a distortion ah, and then you can add some mucus to it. So, ah, so it sounds even worse if you like that. So, so uh, don't uh, blame the mucus that can become in very handy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. And these, yeah, there, there's so many different sounds and then the, yeah. when, cause I'm no expert on rock music, but I'm quite aware that it's got so many sub genres in it, like more than any other style, I think. And, somebody who's into like all these different subgenres could utilize these in terms of, am I going to be an idiot by saying these like death, death metal? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, is there, is there an industrial there, there are millions. Met- metal? There. I'm making them up now. And each of them have a desired sound. And that's where it's very important that the teacher, uh, me as a teacher, anybody as a teacher is not telling the singer how they should sound. Because the singer is the artist. The singer knows how it should sound. I am just a servant helping the singer to achieve the sound the singer wants. So when people come to me, I don't go, this is right, this is wrong. I go, what do you want? And they start singing. And let's see, I, let's say I hear eight things I want to change. And they say, no, I want to change this. And that was not one of my eight things. I go, okay, cool. Because I am not, I, I, my taste and my, um, my, what, how I feel, how I like the sound is not important to the singer. I'm just one in millions and millions. And why should my um, taste be important to the singer? So, I, so everybody teaching CVT refrain completely from adding their own taste to the singer. Because when you are dealing with all these things, you have so many small, tiny differences from this kind of metal to that kind of heavy to that kind of effect. And the singer is much more uh, aware of what they want. So it is just our job to provide the sound they want. So they say, I want this. And sometimes you go, how about this? They go, yeah, it's a little too sweet. Okay, let's make it worse. How about this? Yeah, it's better, but should be more rolling. Okay, how about that? And then eventually you get there and they get the sound they want if they don't have the words for it. If, if they have the words, it's much easier because within distortion, you have like nine different uh, groups of distortion. And then again, you can vary it with sound color. And then again, you can combine the effects. So you can get a grunting with a growling, with a distortion. So, ah! so it gets even more crazy. So you can do all kinds of things, but as long as you know what you're doing, it doesn't hurt your voice. Your your poor neighbours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is she doing up there? Yeah, actually, <laughs> what I was at once teaching, and then some big guys came up. There has been some women being violated in the. <laughs> I just no. This is just singing. I was teaching uh, a lesson. I just sorry. Thank you for coming and trying to rescue me, but. Yeah. everything is fine no totally you need to put signs up everywhere probably even down the road because you, you are quite loud I love yeah, it well it could be positive if they're, if they're into the rock music 
they're, they're drawn to the sound. What is this wonderful? Yeah, what is it? <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's the, an incredible demonstration. Thanks for showing mm. us your dirty sounds. Ah, thank you. Much appreciated. Um, so, uh, some a lot of people might not be aware that as well as training singers, the books that you have, um, the vocal coach training that goes on um, over in, in Europe. Yeah. If anybody wants to find out about all that stuff, where can they actually go and get more information on CVT and the research that you've been doing? Yeah. Well, we have a, a website which is called uh, Complete Vocal Institute. Yes.com. You said that so confidently and there wasn't even a question mark on the end. No, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then we are, um, we are having the app, which is called Complete Vocal Technique app. And there is a full version and a free version. And, uh, all the, the, and on the free version and, on, of course, on the full version and also on the, the website, we have free... We are putting all, the, uh, not all our research, but a lot of our research, the rest is coming, you know, as we make it. But we put it out there for people for free because we think it is so important that everybody, no matter where they are in the world, they should be, it should be possible for them to access knowledge. And that knowledge has been, you know, not a lot of people have this knowledge and it's very hard to get. So we said, well, let's put it out for free so we are heightening the whole level of singers and knowledge. So they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to eat Yorkshire pudding if they are in trouble. <laughs> and they don't have to be afraid of being loud. They don't have to be afraid of doing distortion and think, oh, this is wrong. No, this is completely fine as long as they do it right. So, and if they also interested, we have a lot of courses. We have a three year, uh, it does go for three years. It is uh, like, uh, 18 seminars of uh, four days and then that's where people get um, authorized to be teachers in these techniques and we have all kinds of uh, we, we, we teach in groups and we have all kinds of singers there we have a death metal person we have an opera singer we have jazz singer, folk singer, soul singer, gospel singers and rock singers, everything and they go uh, to the same classes and the funny part is that everybody needs to be able to demonstrate everything before they're finished. So the opera singer can be just as mean and rough as the death metal singer. And the death metal singer can do baroque trills because if they teach that, they have to be able to do that. So everybody who has been through the, and got the authorization uh, of becoming a CDT teacher, they can demonstrate and do and teach all sounds possible and that is important because me personally i would go to a, a teacher who can demonstrate if they say well can you do this sound and they go no i can't but you should do this i would not be sure if they understood me right but if they can demonstrate and say is this the sound you're going for yeah okay then we start so i think that is a nice way for for singers to know if they are on the right track that the teachers they ch they choose that they can actually do the things we're talking about. And then we have five-day courses if people are interested in uh, getting some introduction to the, to the techniques. We have a five-day course coming over to Copenhagen in the summertime or in the Christmas holiday, January, and then uh, go for crazy uh, in a week, get all the 
techniques and they can go back and see if, if or, or usually everybody learns how to do things they couldn't do before. Because that's the good part is that if you build it on anatomy and physiology, then you can immediately find out if it works. And this is one of our main things is saying it should work right away, otherwise it's not performed correctly because the voice is not such a complicated instrument. So if a singer say, I want to do this, and you work with it and it doesn't work, then you as a teacher are perhaps not showing it correctly or maybe the teacher, the, the singer is not understanding it. So you are wasting your time. So it's important that every time you're working with a teacher, it should result in a better result. It, does, it doesn't mean that, of course, they could do it from now on. They have to practice, but they should see, yeah, it helped me, and now I know how to practice it. Sure. Excellent. Okay, great. So, so like I said before, all of those resources will be on the website on the blog post. Yes. Um, thanks so much for your time. Shared so much with us. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. And ho hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Catherine. Okay. Bye. The Naked Vocalist Podcast with Chris Johnson and Steve Giles.